0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Ontario government's uh, current coronavirus lockdown restrictions in areas like Toronto and Peel are not as effective as the previous provincial lockdown. That's according to the official stats and an uh, announcement they made yesterday with Dr. David Williams, Ontario's chief medical officer, and a number of other uh, leading officials about that. So where do we go? because we're not trending in the right way at all. Joining us to talk about this is Dr. Michael Warner. Uh, Dr. Warner is the head of ICU with Michael Guerin Hospital. Uh, doctor, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. I feel like we're in the, uh, the middle of a, uh, a floodgate has just opened here. We're seeing new cases. We're seeing more hospitalizations. Uh, sadly, in this area, we're seeing more people dying than we did in the last couple of months as well. Uh, yet there is a quasi-lockdown here and uh, since we're in a red zone and certainly a, a total lockdown in Toronto and Peel. Why are the numbers still going up, Doctor?
1: Well, the numbers are really concerning, and I'd say that the lockdown... That we have even in Toronto and Peel is, is not even close to what we had back in March. And, and the red zone restrictions, as you know, people can still participate in activities that are known uh, to spread COVID-19, including gyms, indoor dining, uh, personal care services, etc. Uh, I don't underestimate the impact this is having on businesses, but this is a serious uh, medical situation. When I'm on the streets of Toronto during the day, uh, you know, there's traffic. There's lots of traffic, way more traffic than there was back in March. And I'm not sure where people are going, but I'm concerned that they're traveling from the lockdown regions to the adjacent regions uh, that don't have the same restrictions and engaging in those activities they're not supposed to be engaging in in their own region. I think that could be a root of the problem Uh, I mean schools are also open and I think it's important that schools open but the government has not proven that they are safe because they haven't done any surveillance testing beyond uh, Thorncliffe Park uh, Elementary School near my hospital which showed about 35 people had asymptomatic COVID so uh, you know I think there are a number of reasons but people are interacting too much and that's how COVID spreads and it will continue to spread unless interactions become more limited.
0: You've raised an interesting point, and since uh, you're talking about the school that's right in your neighborhood there by the hospital, I wanted to ask you about that, because I'm hearing two different lines of thought about that. Uh, one is when they look at some of these areas, and, and that one that you've just identified was considered to be a hot zone, Uh and and they're saying, well, no wonder you're going to see more asymptomatic cases in school because it's a hot zone. But uh, it, I've heard other experts that have said, well, <laughs> it's a hot zone because they're not paying attention to the school numbers and and the kids are asymptomatic, so they may not show any symptoms, but they're certainly spreading the virus. And maybe that's contributing it to be a hot zone. Is 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 it one or the other, or is there a combination of both going on here?
1: Okay, well, I think I mean the government has at sometimes some points tried to spin this in a way that makes things look better than they are. So. The 16% positivity in the Thorncliffe Park area, are that's for people who are sent to an assessment centre because there are no contacts of COVID and they get tested or they have symptoms of COVID. That population is completely different from the kid who has no symptoms or staff member who has no symptoms, who's just you know, tested on a volunteer basis. And the fact that those numbers are different um, is meaningful, but what's more meaningful is that the positivity rate was over 4% in the people who were tested. And what we need to figure out is, are cases spreading from school to the community, from community to school, or within school. We simply don't have that information yet, but uh, that's what's really important. But if you're familiar with that area, uh, most of these children live in apartment buildings, in congregate settings with perhaps multi-generations. It's their parents and grandparents who end up in my ICU. Uh, so if, if those kids have cases and they're asymptomatic, it's their family who is going to be put at risk because of it.
0: And therein lies the problem, which I guess begs the question, where are the analytics in all this that, that we've heard that other jurisdictions that that have done well with this, New Zealand, Australia, Hong Kong, places like that, uh, they're, they're doing the contact tracing. They're tracking the the virus and they're tracking what's happening with it. Uh, and you, you're absolutely right uh, to your point. Uh, they're being much more stringent about the restrictions they put on vis-a-vis travel and other things. Uh, we seem to be doing an awful lot of stuff here in half measures, doctor.
1: Well, we're chasing our tail, and I think that's the challenge. So two months ago was the time when we had the opportunity for the surgical approach that the government has has discussed, which I think would have made a lot of sense. A lockdown is a hammer. It it doesn't make sense for a lot of businesses, but it's the only tool we have left to kind of save us right now. So um, we're not doing contact tracing outside of Congress settings in Toronto. They're not doing contact tracing in Peel. They're underwater, public health. They're working so hard But uh, it's actually like they're treading water and somebody's pushing their head down because they just can't keep up. And when you can't keep up, you have to do things that are imperfect, which means um, not having the analytics, not making evidence-based decisions necessarily, which makes the public feel like they're, they're unsure whether what they're being asked to do makes sense. Unfortunately, we really all have to kind of adhere to public health measures, even if they may not make sense to you or for your business, because we're in such deep trouble in certain areas of the GTA. And until we get our feet back under us, we won't be able to do things that make more sense and look at analytics and have a tailored surgical approach to public health restrictions. We just, there's too much COVID in the community right now to do that.
0: Well, and, and we've certainly changed our attitude from the springtime, haven't we? Um, you know, the, the mantra back in March and April was, well, we're all in this together. I'm not so sure we are anymore uh, because there are people that have been adversely affected by some of the measures taken, and they're simply saying, hey, you're, you're treating me unfairly. I, 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 I'm, not in, I'm not in the game anymore, or I, at least I don't want to be. Uh, and, and when you've got a fractured attitude like that, it's going to be very, very difficult to try to get this under control.
1: Listen, people are entitled to make a living and to protect their family and have a roof over the head and, and food on their table, and I think the government needs to play a role in making sure that people and businesses are, are adequately supported, and if that means increases taxes, increasing taxes for people like me who are making a living, I would welcome that. And that's the government's role, to make sure people are safe and protected, both from a healthcare perspective, but also uh, from a financial stability perspective. COVID fatigue is real, but I can tell you that know just an anecdote this disease is destroying families i've had members of the same family in my icu five beds apart you know both struggling to breathe and communicating on zoom as to whether or not they want to be intubated i mean that's real and that's the situation we find ourselves in today we have 247 patients in ontario icus with COVID 19 we added 31 overnight the last time we had 31 cases added was on April 2nd. We've only breached the 30 mark twice in this pandemic so far. We will hit 300 by Christmas. Our peak was 283 on April 12th. So the situation is getting out of control. And it is you know, heterogene- heterogeneous. So there are parts of Ontario where there's almost no COVID activity. But Hamilton, Burlington, you know, in your listening area are really starting to get hit. The Niagara region uh, Peel is, is a major problem, and areas outside of the downtown core in Toronto are, are, are in major difficulty, as is York Region, where my colleagues there said they've never seen their hospital this busy. So, you know, if health and safety is the priority, that's really what we have to focus on, but definitely have to support people as they make sacrifices to protect people they don't even
0: know there's another point to this and i'm glad you brought up the icu numbers and i think people need to hear that more often uh and you mentioned the number of covid patients that are in icu right now but there are other people in icu as well and, you know i don't want people to get the impression that the icu is reserved just for covid patients uh because there are people with cardiac problems and a number of other issues that, uh, that are deserving and need icu care uh, and if you only have so many beds uh, are we getting to the point now where, where p- people like you and other doctors are going to have to make decisions about who gets what
1: well, we're not we're not at the point of triage, which I think is what you're asking, but yeah. make an important point. So I'll just kind of lay out the numbers for your listeners. So sure. back in back in wave 1 when we hit 283 patients in April 12th, there were only 1300 patients in the ICU in Ontario, and that's because we had shut down all non-covid related care. Today there are mm-hmm. 1745 and 247 patients with covid, and that's because we've kept the healthcare system open to some degree. And the government will say that we have beds and and it's true they have added beds to the system. However, a bed without a nurse is like a car without wheels. It, it doesn't work. It's the healthcare human resources that will be the rate-limiting step to providing care for Ontarians. The nurses are working so hard. The respiratory therapists, personal support workers, the dietitians, pharmacists—the whole team is working flat out. And more people are getting sick, and people are having to isolate because they're case contacts, and people are off because of mental health challenges. So the people who are left behind are working that much harder. So we don't have an infinite number of beds that can be staffed and we want to maintain access to non-covid related care which we identified as being important which i feel as well however if you listen carefully to what dr brown said yesterday in the press conference we are now at the point where we're not only having to delay or cancel elective surgery but he said that necessary and emergency services are imperiled as well and that's a situation we haven't faced that was the situation we tried to avoid with the serious lockdown we had in march And I truly hope that we don't have to turn away a patient who has life-threatening illness because we're unable to provide care for them in the hospital they show up to. Uh,
0: Because I I get the sense, and and I'd like to get your your read on this as well, Doctor, uh, that in this second wave, which we were already warned about, by the way, that it's probably going to be as bad, if not worse, than the first wave. I, I just get the sense an awful lot of people in the general population are not taking it as seriously.
1: Well, uh, you know, COVID fatigue, sure. You know, inconsistent communication for the government, absolutely. Um, You know, real suffering that people are feeling in their pocketbook, 100%. And also, I think there's a complete disconnect between how an individual's activities, like say you live in Toronto and you go to Vaughn Mill Shopping Mall to buy sneakers on Black Friday, how that activity is completely disconnected from the person who ends up in my ICU because COVID got spread between six people, you know, six degrees of separation, rather, to the person who ends up in my ICU. How people's individual behaviours impact other people, there's no straight line connection, so that feedback loop is not there. And and that's why people don't necessarily appreciate how their activities as individuals impact the healthcare system as a whole. But because a lot of people feel that way and, and are just going about their business, the cumulative effect of all those interactions among people is why COVID continues to spread out of control in some parts of Ontario. And I think the government needs to emphasize that people need to make the right decisions, but also provide a framework that makes it easier for them to do that, which is why the lockdown in Toronto and Peel is not going to be sufficient. They're going to have to extend those restrictions and perhaps more to other areas if they want the numbers to come down
0: well and and like I said at the beginning of our conversation Hamilton may well be in their crosshairs because of the numbers uh, which have risen steadily uh, there are some jurisdictions I'm sure you've heard Dr that are actually getting into uh, to to address checking now in other words if you want to go into a mall they they, they want to see your driver's license or something where are you from? Uh, and if you're from another area, you're not allowed in. Now, and that, that's rather stringent, but that was happening, and it's it's kind of akin to what the the Australian regulations were like. I don't know if there's an appetite for uh, for that sort of thing here in Ontario, but at the same time, uh, while well, the old cliche, I guess, is desperate, desperate times call for desperate measures.
1: Well, I think that people have a right to be able to flow freely in, in Canada. I don't think we're we're going to head towards that type of you know police state, nor do I think we should. But if you think back to kind of before masks became standard, the concept of of wearing a mask was somewhat of debate. You know, should we wear a mask? Do you really need to? And then now if you walked into a store and somebody wasn't wearing a mask, you give your head a shake. Like, what are they doing? We need to make it kind of socially unacceptable to be cavalier with public health restrictions. That means if you live in Toronto and you tell your friend that you're going to York region to get a haircut or, you know, do something you're not supposed to do, They should say, you know what, you really shouldn't do that because COVID could spread because of those activities. We're not there yet, but that's I think would be more effective. The kind of peer pressure, um, uh, socially acceptable or unacceptable activity idea would be more effective than checking people's licenses at at Steels Avenue to see if they're going into York Region for shopping.
0: Yeah, and and again, I you know we read the stuff of what would happen in Australia. Actually, we're head police patrols there saying you're not allowed out of your neighborhood one guy i think got a ticket for walking his dog around the block and I, I don't think we want to go there and i'm hoping we're not at the point where we have to even consider something like that but again it comes down to, to personal choice and, and personal discipline i guess about what we're supposed to be doing here
1: yeah i mean they're locked in in melbourne was about 111 days and it was serious in our country I, I, i'm not sure that people want to do that and i'm not advocating for that at all but personally i mean People will follow the path of least resistance, and if they feel that they need to do something for their family, whether it's shopping, haircuts—I'm trying not to pick on these things. That just these are because big box stores are still open in the lockdown regions. But if they, if people are very creative in how they can skirt around the rules, and what I'm concerned about, Bill, is what, what's going to happen in mid-January because people are going to congregate over the holidays. And if you're listening to me, please don't—you know—stay with within your household. It really makes a difference. But mid-January, that could be the darkest time. Of this whole pandemic, because um, that's when we're going to start to see the impact on the healthcare system of all those interactions that took place. And Premier Ford can only say so much. At the end of the day, people have to make the own, their own decisions mm-hmm. to think about their neighbor, as opposed to what they want to do over the holidays.
0: Doctor, how much of a, a concern and how much of a factor is the misinformation that's out there, uh, for instance, on social media, or some, some irresponsible comments? Of, you know, Rudy Giuliani, of course, uh, the, the Trump's special lawyer, I was positive he's in the hospital uh he was you know yesterday characterizing covid as now a quote unquote treatable disease uh which is i think a massive understatement considering the fact that he got special treatment that most other people that could contract the disease or are hospitalized are never going to get uh and there are people that are going to read that and say hey see this is no big deal
1: mm. well social media is a bit of a tricky one because i mean the way social media tends to work and i'm not an expert is that if you feel a certain way about something, say you you're, you think COVID may be a hoax or that it may not be as bad, you're going to click on articles and, and links that that kind of emphasize that fact mm-hmm. and reinforce that fact. And then you end up in an echo chamber where everything you read and see is consistent with your preconceived concept. And that works in the other way as well. If you think you know COVID is the end of the world, you're going to kind of um, only receive information that emphasizes or supports that fact, which is why you know, my practice is, and let's take U.S. politics. You know, I look at CNN I look at Fox News because the, the spin on the same issue can be different. Oh, yeah. different. And, I, and I think that here we need we need to focus on what the scientists are saying. Um, the politicians will reflect what the scientists say, you know, thinking about economics and other factors which are important, but science is the truth. And I think where people are having trouble is that they're seeing the scientific method played out in real time in the media and on social media. And the scientific method means that things get refined over time. Things mm-hmm. will change. Uh... You know, don't wear a mask. Yes, wear a mask. You know, that changed because we didn't have enough masks for healthcare workers. It wasn't because masks didn't make sense. So I think that because the, the scientific method is under the microscope, it allows people the opportunity to say that science isn't real or that it's fake or that they don't know what they're doing. The truth is, it's a process, and you're seeing the process played out in real time. And people who are in science or in medicine have no vested interest in destroying the destroying the economy or limiting people's liberty. We just want people to to stay safe and not have to ration care for COVID or non-COVID related care. At the end of the day,
0: yeah, that's a long and very complicated story. I guess I've I've heard that debate many times back in the springtime, and I said, look, we used to use leeches to fight fever too, and we get, we're smarter now, so uh, we're having the same thing is happening with COVID.